Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Well, good morning. Uh, If you do not uh, know who I am, my name is Thomas Scythe. I'm the youth pastor here. Thank you. Uh, we got some youth leaders here today, uh, but I'm the, I'm the youth pastor here at our uh, Anderson campus, and I'm so excited to be with you guys. I know you've been off a couple weeks on Sunday morning, uh, and so I'm glad and I'm honored to be here with you guys as we jump in. Um, and so uh, I want to start us off today uh, with a little game. Is that okay? Uh, wake us up a little bit. You know, it's 11, okay, but let's, let's just continue this wake-up process. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you a snapshot of something, uh, of a person, and I want you, in your mind, uh, to tell me, um, or, or to, to tell yourself, I ask, is this going to end well, or is this going to end very poorly for this person? Okay, so we're going to play. I'll give you a little example right here. Um, here's a snapshot. Okay, guy in a, guy in a sidewalk. Okay, real quick, raise your hand. Who thinks this is going to end well? Four of you. That's good. Who thinks this will end poorly for this guy? Okay, you guys are kind people. This is great. Uh, okay, let's see what happens. I would say that's a win. That, that ended well for that guy. Guess he had to dodge into the street, but he did not die. Okay, I got another one for you. Here we go. Okay, be thinking. Okay, what is going to happen? Try to, try to answer that. Who thinks this is going to be, this is going to be positive? This is a good experience. Or this is going to end well. Who thinks this will end very poorly for this man? There you go. All right, let's see what happens. Oh! He made it. He's safe. Okay. Don't worry. You did not get clipped at the end. You guys are crazy for thinking about show someone to get hit by a car on a Sunday morning. Uh, sickos. I don't know. Okay, let's see. This one. Got a skateboard. He's already on, the, he's on grass, which is already wrong, I guess. All right, who thinks this is going to end well? You guys have discouraged yourselves. Okay, who thinks this is going to end very poorly? Oh, let's see what happens. Half just fucking around. Like, half are you? Yeah, come on! <laughs> Bless his heart. I don't, gosh. And I got one more for you. One more for you. Right here. <laughs> Yes, just yes. Who thinks this is going to end well for this guy? One guy, okay, one person. Who thinks this will end very poorly? My people, thank you. Okay, let's see, let's see what happens. No, stop! (laughs) (laughs) There we go. That was a fail in multiple ways. He had smashed his face, yes, but that laugh, come on. Gosh. So what do we see right here? Right? Who got, who went a perfect 4-0? You're like, oh yeah, that's me. That's me. I went a 4-0. Okay, there's like 10 of you or something like that. There, there's something here, though, right? We are, it's, it's hard. You, you maybe can make some good guesses uh, about what's going to happen in the future. But at the end of the day, you don't totally know uh, what was going to happen in this. And if you're like, man, I'm a person of intuition. I'm good at predicting the future. Just show me your March Madness bracket, and I will point out to you quickly that you are not perfect at predicting the future. 
Uh, and so that's what I want to talk about today. I want us to look ahead for a moment together and think about what is coming down the line for us. So when we think about the future, one of two things can happen. We can either get extremely stressed out or we can be filled with hope, right? Let me talk about what I mean. So some of you right now uh, are in the midst of applying for jobs, right? And you're maybe thinking about that this morning. You're like, yeah, I turn an application, still have not heard back from them. Uh, that unknown in the future can cause stress. If you were like me, the first job I ever applied for was at HEB. Um, I don't even know what the job was, and I had no interview experience whatsoever. And I, they asked, or they said, what are your weaknesses? And I said, I'm just bad at listening to directions. <laughs> Gosh, they did not call me back. Um, I, it was still, I didn't get my job until that next summer. Uh, but I, I just, not knowing the end causes stress, right? Or maybe... Maybe graduation is coming upon you, and you're like, how did I get here already? And I'm into my senior year, or my fifth year, or sixth year, uh, and, and you're getting closer and closer to graduation, and just the, the unknown of what's beyond May is stressing you out. And you hear a lot of people, you're like, everyone seems to have it figured out. And what I've learned is that like 10% of people have it figured out, and they like to talk a lot. And so the rest of us, 90% are like, man, it feels like everyone's got it figured out. Uh, but that the future can stress us out. Or if you're, if you're like me, you had a recurring dream uh, when you were leading up to graduation where you were enrolled for a class that you did not know you were enrolled for. And then all of a sudden you're, you begin panicking in this nightmare that, oh my gosh, I, I've been skipping this class and I'm not going to graduate anymore. And that's stress. Or maybe it's just a relationship that started off so well and then just went downhill real quickly. And you're like, what happened? Like, this is stressing me out. Or maybe it's as simple as just knowing you're going to get dominated by a test this week. And you're like, it's coming. Like, this is how I go. (laughs) Like, this math test is going to destroy me. But the future can also bring hope, right? If you have certainty about the future, there is hope that comes to you. Go back to this test, right? You've maybe, hopefully you've had this moment. I had it one glorious time in my life where you and this test are just clicking and you're like, math is my middle name right now. Like geometry, like it's, it's kind of come like, you know, and you just, you are so prepared for this test and you're looking forward to it. And you have that glorious moment where you finish your test and no one else has turned it in and you turn it in first and you look at everyone like idiots, like I'm going to get out of here. Uh, and you've had that glorious moment, right? I hope that happens at least once in your life. Uh, or or uh, maybe it's like in gift giving or something like that. For me, this past Valentine's Day, uh, I had bought my wife flowers and the chocolate covered strawberries and I had the gifts ready and you know, I had it all worked out so that she would be surprised. And so I was anticipating that day because I was ready for it. So the future can either bring stress or it can bring hope. And that's what I want to talk about today, because the future and what we know about the future can determine and influence how we live in the present here and now. What we know about the future can impact the way that we live our lives right now. That's a truth. And so what I want to do is take it a even step further, not just look to the end of the semester, not just look to the end of the year or the end of my time at Texas A&M or Blinn, but to look towards the end of my life. What is beyond 
my life? What is waiting for me? I want us to think about death for a moment today. And you're like, wow, downer, Thomas. Like, come on. But this is not something that's abnormal to the scriptures. Solomon talks about this in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. What is he saying? He is not saying, hey, we should be weird and be obsessed with death. He's not saying that, but he's saying it's a healthy thing for people while they are alive to think about the day that they will die. Because when you think about that day, it has the possibility to bring immense, deep hope and joy. But I would guess for some of us today, when we think about that day, it just causes stress. The uncertainty of what is beyond or the uncertainty of what is coming for us stresses us out. And I'm glad you're here today because we're going to talk about the hope that we have in Christ. And before you say you're like, man, I'm in college. I don't want to think about this. Just think about how quickly time has passed. Like you have, uh, if you, if you, I work with junior high students. And if you go over there, you'll look at those junior high students and you'll be like, was I that tiny at one point in my life? Like, was I that kind of, per- like, did those smells surround me when I was in junior high? Like, there is no way. Or maybe you're a senior now in college and you look at freshmen who are here and you're like, man, like, it's so crazy to see people like that fresh out of high school in college. Like I thought I was so old then. And now I look back on that. I'm like, so time is passing. And I had a moment this past uh, spring break, uh, just a few weeks ago, where where, uh, I had had two deaths in my family. My my great aunt and then my grandmother passed away. Uh, Both of them were believers, thankfully. But it was, I was sitting down with my dad and he just, he was just kind of like, oh my goodness, all of a sudden overnight, I am now the oldest person in my family. Like I am the next generation. That is something good to think about. But as Christians, as Christ followers, we can have hope. We can be certain of what is coming. And that hope cannot be shaken. That hope cannot be taken away. That hope cannot be uh, uh, removed. It is there for us forever. And I want us to talk about that today. So there's three things. As we look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. But there's three things I want us to look at. The first is the importance of our hope. What is the importance of having hope at all? Second, what is the foundation of our hope? What are the foundational pieces that our hope is built upon? Then lastly, what is the effect that our hope has on us? What do we do with it? So if you would, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Read with me. Paul says, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. What is he saying? He says, do not be ignorant. I want to highlight that. We do not want you to be ignorant. What does that mean? What does that mean? Paul is urging the people of Thessalonica who were mature believers If you read in chapter one, he'll say, your faith has gone forth everywhere. So I don't even need to talk about your faith to you because your faith is so vibrant among you. And he says, but even, he says, this is what the mature people do. They are not ignorant of the hope that they have. It's something we should know. We should be able to explain. We should be able to talk about it. We should be able to describe it to people quickly. 
the hope that we have. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant. Why? Because he says, I don't want you to grieve like the rest of mankind who has no hope. So think about this. Confidence in the future can bring hope in the present. If I have confidence about the future, that brings hope in the present. Let me talk about what I mean. When I was a student at A&M, class of 2012, and I studied mechanical engineering um, because I wanted something hard, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I was studying mechanical engineering, and I had this really difficult test coming up, and it was math. Uh, and, uh, and I remember just studying with my buddy, Tim, and we were in this room studying, and it's like hour 12 of studying on this day, and we've been studying all week, and I'm just, I'm getting so stressed out because I'm like, I feel like I cannot be ready for this test. And then we did what I'm sure every college student has done when finals time comes around, where you get out your calculator and you're like, what is the minimum possible grade that I can get on this test and not have to retake this course? Uh, and, and, I, and I remember my buddy Tim pulled out his calculator. He's like, it's time to do it. And he, he calculated out and he's like, you need a 96% to get an A on this, in this class. And I was like, that's, that's not going to happen. Like, this is difficult. Uh, and then he said, but here's the, here's the good news. He goes, you need a 15% to get a B. And what I did in that moment, my whole posture changed. I just closed my book and I said, Tim, we're going to Chipotle. We're going to go hang out together. We're done studying. But what happened? Because I was confident about the end of that class, I was able to completely change my posture here in the present. I knew what was going to happen at the end of that class. I was going to pass. It didn't matter. I was was 90% sure I could get a 15% on that test. Um, but the, the confidence in the future brings hope in the present. And so maybe you're not face-to-face with death today, although maybe some of you are, and you have health complications or you have things that are face-to-face that no college kid should have to go through. But for most of us, there's afflictions, there's things that have happened in our life that frustrate us, that, that, that cause us to grieve. And so you think about the relationships that you have, right? Maybe someone has said something to you and they're just so thoughtless. And they said words that just hurt you and cut you down. And you said, how could they say something like that? Don't they know I wanted to go with them to that thing? And they didn't even think to ask me. And that hurts. And that's a, that, that's a form of just pain and suffering that we go through. Or maybe it's just the end of the semester. And, and you're like, there are so many tests and meetings, and I signed up for 15 organizations, and now I'm regretting it, and, and now I'm stressed because of what's happening, and I feel like I'm dropping the ball, and I'm letting people down left and right. Maybe that's you this morning, and what Paul is saying, he says, in the midst of your affliction, you can have hope. You don't have to face your affliction without hope. So if you want to know the difference between Christians and non-Christians, it's not that Christians face less affliction. Because the scriptures say the exact opposite. Jesus would say, you will be persecuted because of me. As you associate more closely with Christ, Jesus taught his disciples, he says, that will draw persecution. That will draw suffering at times. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that we can have hope in the midst of our affliction. Does that make sense? And so what I want you to ask yourself today, am I someone who is ignorant of my hope? 
do I know the hope that, that, that I have? What is that hope? Is this just something I've tried not to think about? Like I said, thinking about death is not the most fun thing in the world. But the scriptures call us to dwell upon it. Our hope is important. It's important to have something that we can cast our mind and our anxieties on to pull us forward in the midst of the affliction that comes our way. And so that's what I want to talk about now. Moving on to the the foundation of our hope. So we've talked about the importance of it, but I want to move a little bit and talk about what actually is the hope that we as Christ followers have. Paul's going to begin to uh, unpack that. And and what I want to do before I I do that, like I said, I was a mechanical engineering major and I say, I use this word foundation. It's not because Paul's going to go through an exhaustive list of everything that a Christian should believe, or this are the only things that are important, but he is saying, the truths I'm about to tell you are something that you can build upon. You can build your hope upon. So he's going to give us three truths, I think, in this next section. Three truths. First one, he's going to say, Jesus has conquered death. So I love this because he says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And I love that because he says it real plainly. And a lot of times we assume that, right? We just like, oh yeah, that's, that's the, I learned that at VBS when I was three and I was sharing it with my buddy when I was seven, you know, and it's like, we graze over that huge truth. But, but Paul is, he, he's saying, I'm trying to give you some truths here. I'm trying to define some things. It's like a, it's like a spiritual DTR. You know, he's like, I'm going to define this relationship. I'm going to define these truths. When I was in college, we had, there was this there was a coffee shop with a weirdly shaped chair that was perfectly crafted so two people could have a conversation about the status of the relationship. It's called the DTR chair. Maybe you have a bench on your porch or something. I don't know. Uh, but that's what Paul's going to do. He's going to draw attention. He says, I'm going to define this hope. And the first one is, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And I want you just to think about that sentence for a moment. Because it is a crazy statement to believe. Someone lived... We believe that Jesus died, did everything that we were unable to do, was perfect, flawless, spotless, and then went to the cross, was torn apart by our sin, and died. He stopped breathing. And then later, 72 hours later, he rose again. Like, just think about what we believe as Christians. That is a that, okay, there's like, there's like unbelievable statements and then there's impossible statements. Like a number 16 seed upsetting on one seed, that's unbelievable, but it's not impossible, right? Or think about when you were a kid and like your parents got you that gift that you've been asking for. Like that's unbelievable. For me, that was a drum set. And I was like, what? This is unbelievable. But impossible is something different. Like, look at that. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And, and let me make this point a little bit more. If you look at the, the apostles, their reaction to this, Jesus had told them numerous times, hey, this is what's going to happen. The son of man must be lifted up and will be crucified. And then he will raise again. And they're like, Jesus, come on, crazy Jesus again. And, and he, they're, they're kind of, they're not tracking with him closely. And I love this because in the book of Luke in chapter 24, you don't have to turn there, but you see uh, the, the, the women come up to the grave and, and it's rolled open Jesus is not there, and there's an angel chilling out saying, hey, he's risen. Why are you looking here? He's not here. Go tell people about it. 
And they come back, read this. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. That's the apostles we're talking about. Peter, however, good old Peter, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. So if it's difficult for the apostles to comprehend this, it's okay if we're struggling a little bit to comprehend this, right? But that is the first truth. Jesus has conquered death first. That's the first part of our foundation. So let's keep going. Back in 1 Thessalonians, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up in the air together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we thought that first statement was crazy. Paul's just unpacking it now. So what is happening here? I want to say, uh, think to the last time you were at an Aggie football game for a moment. And, you know, you're on that student side, okay? And you're there and the sun, it's like they built the stadium to like cook students alive because the sun is like perfectly on top. And, uh, you know, they built those ramps and you have to go up those ramps, like herd up there and you're sweaty and there's no escape from the heat. In fact, one of the things that I do when I was a student and on that side, you're like looking for the shadows in the stadium and you're like, will one of them get to me? Like, look at that flag. Like, is one of the shadows going to get to me and cool me off? And you look at that, uh, but it's, you're standing there proud because you're an Aggie, uh, but it's just, it's, it's, it can be miserable at times. Um, but then one time after I had graduated, my parents had tickets to the former student side and they said, Hey, would you want to come sit with us sometime? And I was like, sure, that'd be great. I walk in and I feel the cool breeze of the air conditioning come over me. And I'm like, this is a land of milk and honey. Like, this is unbelievable. Um, like what is happening here? And instead of like crowded corridors and ramps, uh, there's like memorabilia of A&M's history in the Hall of Champions. And I was just like, what is this? And people were like, hey, do you want something free? Here you go. And I'm like, yes, I do. I'm obligated to wear it now. And, and then I look and I see there's an escalator, an escalator taking me up to the deck that I'm supposed to go to. And I'm like, this is how life is supposed to be lived. And, and, and then you go and you walk out in the food. It, it, it's like carved brisket instead of like, a burger, you know, or an Aggie dog, whatever that is. And, uh, and, and it's like the food is unbelievable. And then you walk into the stadium and waiting for you is a cushy seat and no one judges you for sitting down. And it was just a completely different experience. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this feels almost like sinful. Like, I, like, I don't belong here. Like, Joe, class of 62, is to my right, and Martha, class of 57, is to my left. Like, like I am class of 12, not 1912, you know, like 2012. Like, I don't belong here. Like, I don't fit in with these people. 
And then and my, the only reason I had access to that section of the stadium was because of an invitation from my parents. And so I had access because of my association with my parents. And I love that because Paul is pointing that out here. He says, because of your association with Christ, you have access to the resurrection. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is the same power that will work in believers to rise them from the dead someday. And he says, you can hope in that. Here's a picture of my little niece. Her name's Maya. Um, this is the first baby on, of, like, of all my siblings. So everyone's obsessed with her. Everyone's like, let me hold you. Um, but, but I want to be clear real quick. Like, she does not contribute much to the economic situation of our family. Um, she cannot lift heavy objects. Uh, she cannot uh, do anything uh, besides knock things down at this point, pretty much. Um, here she's attempting to rock climb, but it's cheating because she's being held. And, uh, but you, but I, I look at that. And, and I look at the acceptance that we have just because she bears the name that we do. She's a part of our family because she's associated with us, not because of anything that she has done, but simply because she's been born into this family. And that is exactly what has happened when we place our faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins. We are moved from, one, from a kingdom of darkness to the family of Christ, to the kingdom of light. And it's no longer dependent upon us, but it's dependent upon our status before God. God looks at us through the blood of Christ. And so look again at this passage. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Okay, what does that do? So we now can believe that God will bring uh, with Jesus those who have fallen asleep because of what Christ has done and because believers are part of the family of God, they will experience the resurrection just as Christ was raised from the dead. But let's keep going. He says, for the Lord himself will come from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise First, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Um, and, and so it is this beautiful moment that is coming where the Lord will return. And it says, those who have died in Christ will be raised first and they will return with Christ. So those who we have lost in Christ we will see them again. But he says, better yet, those who are still alive when Christ returns will be caught up in the air with them. And Paul says, this is the foundation of our hope. He says, this is something you need to think about. You need to dwell upon. You need to set your mind upon. And then this last truth here, he says, all believers will be with Christ forever. Look what he says. He says, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So I want to talk for a moment. When you think about your hope, is it this? And maybe you don't think about the resurrection every, every time you have a test or like you, you know, something bad happens. But at the bottom, at the end of the day, what is at the bottom of your hope in this life? Is it something other than this? Because what Paul, through the scriptures, is urging us to do is to set our hope upon Christ 
and what he has done on the cross alone. Because that is our only hope. Have you thought about this? So in the midst of exams, papers, your class, the things that are happening, are you allowing that stress just to pile up, pile up, pile up? Or have you spent time just saying, Lord, this is what's stressing me out, but I hope in you. Have you taken time recently to do that? Or maybe there's just relationships that, are, that are, have hurt you or have disappointed you. You're saying, God, it's not fair that I've seen my roommate go through three relationships in the time that I have had none, <laughs> you know? And, and like, that's not fair. And what Paul's urging us to do, he says, what is your hope? You can know that, that things will be made right someday, that we will be reunited with Christ. And I love that because he says, we will be with the Lord forever. So he says, all the pain, all the affliction, all the things that happen today that hurt us, that stress us out, that cause brokenness in our lives will be wiped away in an instant. It'll, it'll never take place. And we will be with the Lord forever. How do you deal with things when you're getting stressed out? What are the coping mechanisms that you use? Maybe it's shutting people out. Or maybe if you're like me, and I have to be careful about this, it's just running to Netflix. And you're like, this is how I'm going to end my day. I'm going to watch an hour and a half of Netflix that maybe turns into three. And then I'm just going to go to sleep. And, and it's, it's not bad to watch Netflix. But as that habit begins, what you begin to do is just numb your reality. You're saying, I'm not going to think about what I'm actually experiencing. What I'm going to try to do is just escape my reality for a few hours so I don't have to think about these things. Or is your hope set on Christ? So let's move to our last point here. What is the effect of our hope? And I love Paul. He just gives one sentence. He says, therefore, this is what I want you to do. Encourage one another with these words. And so he says, I want you to become encouragers. So what is the effect that our hope should have on us? We should become encouraging people. We should be people who fill others up, who bring hope to situations. And that's a good question to ask yourself. Am I someone that consistently drains other people? Or am I someone who consistently gives life and breathes life into other people? Because that's an indication of where my hope is set. Am I constantly complaining about my circumstances? And it's okay to talk about your circumstances, but is that what I'm known for? Am I known for being someone who's just like, I am so stressed out again and again and again. And maybe what we need to do today is you need to lay that down and say, Lord, I want to become an encourager. One of the biggest ways you can do that is just by taking seriously the discipline of prayer. And just being someone who doesn't just like, you know, bottle rocket prayers up, but just, but, but, but just saying, Lord, who, who am I supposed to talk to today? Who can I encourage today? Or as you're in conversation with other people, saying, hey, how can I pray for you? And then, and then following up and saying, I've been praying for you. How, what, what's been going on with that? Imagine if we became a community that did that with one another how that would transform, how people would come into our midst and would sense the hope that we have. 
because we know that the Lord cares about what we're going through. And so we're bringing it to the Lord day after day on behalf of one another. That's the kind of, that's the kind of discipline, that's the kind of thing that would start movements. People praying for one another. So we should be people who generate hope in those that are around us. You don't have to turn there. I love this verse in 1 Peter 3.15. I don't have a slide for it. But he writes, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So what Paul is not advocating is we need to talk about the end all the time and we need to have signs and we need to pick it and we need to tell people that the end is near. And, and, and he says, no, what I want you to do is be prepared to give the hope that you have. And I want you to do so often, but I want you to do it with gentleness and with respect towards other people. We should be encouragers. So to wrap up today, I want you to ask yourself, am I afraid of the end? Am I someone who thinks about the future? And I, I realize that I cannot predict and I cannot guess. And that just stresses me out. That causes me anxiety. That causes things to build up in me. That causes me to lash out at people or to say things that I regret. What's the hope that you have? Do you know that you can have hope? There, there's no reason that you have to leave here without certainty today. And that's an amazing, life-changing thing. Or when you are tested and tried and afflicted, what are the things that you're running to? What is the things at the bottom of your hope? And then lastly, are you an encourager? Are you someone that brings hope to other people? Because the scriptures will say continually that we have an obligation one to another to do so. And so I'm going to invite the band back up and I want to provide a space just for you to think through some of those questions and deal honestly with the Lord as we work through this. And so let me pray for us. Father, I pray, Lord, I pray that we would take seriously the call to think about death. Although that's not a fun thing um, and that's not a, uh, God, that's not, that's not something we would naturally like to do, but it's wise. Your scriptures ask us to think about it. And Paul says, encourage one another. And so Lord, help us become encouragers, not just by saying great job, but by saying, do you know the hope that you have in Christ? Because of what Christ has done, our labor, our work is over. And we are secure in Christ by faith, by grace. And so whatever's happening in this room, the, the stresses, the things that are happening at home, our parents going back on their word and, and doing things that drive us crazy or roommates, Lord, may we say, I hope in the Lord. Because I know that Jesus has conquered death Jesus has conquered the pain and the affliction of this world. And so therefore, by faith, I have conquered those things. And I can hope in a day when those things will be no more. 
And my hope and prayer today, Lord, is that we would take advantage of this time when the entire world looks at the Easter holiday. Some celebrate it in in seriousness, others not so much. But Lord, I pray that we would be a people who would reflect on the death and resurrection of Jesus this weekend. But not just this weekend, the rest of our semester and our time in college. And we would be a people of hope. And so Lord, we ask all this in the name of Christ. Amen.